ingredients. We've got cheese plate. Yep. We got drinks. Yep. We got hot honey. Yep. We have a dark and stormy. Yes. Alright, I'm gonna try it. We're gonna we're gonna try it. Oh. Oh lord. Mostly rum. That's that's just straight rum. Okay. Well. <sighs> okay, straws. Straws are good. Straws, straws are really good. Straws, okay. Oh, straws help. Oh! That straw helps a lot. Straws and mixing help. Welcome to the ASMR section of our podcast. In which we drink the drink that we made and then immediately start eating a cheese plate. Yeah, that was, um... Whew. What is the appeal of a dark and stormy? Is it just because it Instagrams well? I think so. I think that's what it is. That and, like, when you really want to hurt yourself. I mean, I would rather go back to port or absinthe. Oh my god, that port. I've been talking about port all week. I have a headache from a week ago from the port. I almost bought more port of my own volition. I mean, if you want, there's some in like... Okay, so we actually have a podcast like cocktail shelf now. Yeah, we have to. Well, it's starting to become the full shelf. My husband is has uh, asked me what's going on because I'm like, we need more gin. And he's like, there's an entire <laughs> bottle of gin. And I said, no, that's podcast gin. I love that I have a sequestered section of gin. This is wonderful. Evidently, it doesn't go over well. No. No. And, so, and my husband's not drinking the gin. That's the thing. I'm, I'm the one drinking the gin. And this just makes me sound like an old British woman. I mean, I, 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 regu- I just put artificial flowers in a bottle of Bombay Sapphire and put that on my table as decoration. That actually sounds very nice. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's a pretty it. bottle. It is a beautiful bottle. Shall we, shall we get started? So this week we are covering wide, sar- is it Sargasso Sea or is it Sargasso Sea or is uh, it? I'm a southerner, so it's been Sargasso. Okay. I'll, I'll go with that. By Jean Reese. Um, what are, we've already kind of talked about what we're drinking. Yeah. So we're drinking a Dark and Stormy, which if you uh, look on our Instagram, it doesn't look like other Dark and Stormies, mostly because uh, we couldn't find the rum that looks like vanilla extract. So I didn't get the Myers rum. I got the Curazan because that was what was at the liquor store next to my house. And looking back, this was a mistake. Yeah, I mean, it didn't Instagram well or as well as others have, but um, it certainly does feel like it is dark and I am in a storm. There you go. <laughs> I feel like I'm on a ship being battered by emotions. <laughs> And I mean, that's kind of this whole book, right? Yeah, that's why we're drinking it. Also, uh, because we couldn't drink a Mai Tai because I have food allergies. Which is fine. I'm down with this. I'm not down with this. The subtitle of this episode is A Really Shitty Island Vacation. Yes, uh, this 100% feels like the start of a lot of episodes of 90 Day Fiance, where it's like, I went to Jamaica once and found the love of my life and I'm going to smuggle him in a suitcase. I've never watched the show. What is the show? 90 Day Fiance is a reality television show where people meet the love of their lives uh, outside of the U.S. And they have to come in on what I believe is called a K-1 visa. It's like a 90 day visa. They have to get married so that person can stay in the country. And it is a hot, hot mess. Okay. Is this on like Hulu or something? Yes. (laughs) I know what I'm doing today. (laughs) And I can hear the howling from downstairs of, no, no, you are not. Yeah, 90 Day Fiance is my jam. Uh, I'm a bit of a slut for reality television. We're being honest because I feel like, especially after Port last week, I feel like we owe we owe <laughs> our audience some honesty and some brevity. We also have a special guest, which is uh, Mike's Hot Honey. Which we're going to eat on cheese as we're, like, away from the ca- the what is it microphone it's not a camera it i think might... we've done that like four times this morning it might be a camera i don't know maybe it is maybe someone's watching us which i hope not i don't look pretty today i'm kind of hoping my fbi friend jake is watching us i mean maybe i mean i don't have a real friend named jake but that's what i've named him so we're also drinking a dark and stormy because of um foreshadowing foreshadowing because this book is 90 percent foreshadowing It is foreshadowing to another book that was written literally hundreds of years before it. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. It it is. um, When I was in school, to tell you the level of nerd I am, I wrote, like, a weird, like, essentially a fan fiction to To Kill a Mockingbird. uh, Because apparently I had a weird crush on one of the characters, and I don't remember which one. And my uh, drama teacher was like, I thought this was just another part of the book. And it's like, 
that's one insulting to Harper Lee, and two, very complimentary to me as a junior high school student. Uh, so I can completely understand why you would do this, and I fully support this choice if you guys remember last week's episode. So I'm going to need to find the name of the actual book and put it on our website, but there is actually a book that follows Adele's life as well, the little girl from Jane Eyre, but I don't remember what it's called because I had one of those moments at three in the morning where I was like, I'm going to write a book about Adele. And then I got in there and I realized it had already been done many years before I was born. So anyway, I want to write a book about the seamstress who had to make Mr. Rochester's gypsy outfit. I think you should. I will. Let's do it. Short fiction. Mm -hmm. Start putting it on our website. Heck yes. <laughs> Please feel free to write your fan fiction and send it to us at oh, unfortunatelyrequiredreading yeah. at gmail.com. Oh my gosh. We forgot the most important part of our speculative fan fiction universe last week. Which part? We did not sort Charlotte Bronte. We did Oh, we didn't. Ravenclaw. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree Ravenclaw. That's... Okay, so we've added someone else to the Harry Potter AU. If you guys have fanfic of that, I'd love to see it. I feel like we actually do need to make our chart, though. I'll make a chart. This is our chart. <laughs> Everybody thinks Hemingway is a Gryffindor. No, friends. He is a Slytherin. Oh, absolutely. He's too mean. He's an a-hole. I mean, I'm not always mean. Just... Which is hard because I love, love, love Hemingway and hate him in equal measure. I think that's how everyone feels about him. I think that's how his wives felt about him, too. I mean, they, they, deserve, they deserve to. My apologies to Margot Hemingway. His She's granddaughter, still... who's still alive. Oh, I was like, yeah. I'm like, I'm sorry. Are we apologizing to ghosts? Are we at that level? No, 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 no. Speaking of ghosts, uh, this is the story of an attic wife who should not be a central character to anything, but is now. It is now. So, I always say that these are short plots, but that's always a bold-faced lie, and you all know this by this point. Accurate. Amanda is the one who gives you the short points. I'm the one who goes on forever, so I apologize. Good cop, anyway, bad cop. There are three parts to this story, which is interesting because they're kind of narrated by different people, except I, the first and third part. I think that, that I think that that's narratively very interesting, but also um, it makes me angry. Yes. There's also a really weird part in part two where if you're not paying attention, you don't realize that it switched back to Antoinette for five seconds. Yes. So if you're reading this for school, be really careful. Yes. If you're reading this for fun... Also, be very careful. If you're reading this for school, go ahead and break up each individual part using different color post-it notes and then use different color highlighters. That's what I did. Why are you smarter than me? Oh, I'm just ADD and I need things to study. <laughs> <laughs> so part one is told from Antoinette's perspective. She's a beautiful Creole girl. Her father is dead and her mother is struggling to keep the plantation in Jamaica alive. Her little brother is sick and the only people who seem to care about them are the servants who live with them. Their neighbor, Mr. Luttrell, shoots his dog, then swims out to sea. And everyone's talking about it. As you do. Antoinette's family are called white cockroaches because they don't fit in with either the black or white society on the island. Mm -hmm. Antoinette's mother suffers from mental illness. Mm -hmm. She marries a rich Englishman named Mr. Mason. While they honeymoon and fix up Colibri, which is the plantation, the kids go away to stay at their aunt's home. They return home to a restored Colibri. Mr. Mason has hired all new servants except for Christophine, who is their caretaker before. Antoinette's mother begs for them to go away because she feels something terrible is going to happen. Mr. Mason thinks she's being crazy. Mm -hmm. Then their plantation is burned to the ground by inhabitants on the island. Her brother dies. Her mother is sent away for madness. And Antoinette ends up in Catholic school to study and learn how to become a, quote, proper lady. Yes. Mr. Mason visits her with gifts regularly. Antoinette has a horrifying dream about finding a faceless man in a forest while she's being chased. So I'm going to pause here very briefly. We're probably going to end up using words that may or may not be uh, culturally sensitive to you. Mm -hmm. Like I know we don't use Creole in this sense anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, so if that bothers you, please know that we're not doing so to be uh, cruel or insensitive. It is uh, what the book uses. And mm -hmm. while that's never an excuse, I just don't want to rustle any jimmies. And be advised that this book uses the N-word. A like, lot. It's, it's like it's sprinkled through. Yeah, it's a little bit like Django Unchained, where, like, I actually wish that he would have just used the N-word more because the words that he ended up using in place of that in Django Unchained were just as bad. It feels a little bit like that in this book, where it's like, at this stage, both are terrible. What's interesting, too, is this book came out in the 60s. I looked it up, guys. Um, Very proud. And that's 
pretty high in the civil rights period, so yeah, almost like uh, almost like that didn't matter to the author. Almost, right? So part two is mostly from Mr. Rochester's perspective, although, although. occasionally Antoinette comes in here, which I think is quite sweet that their narratives intermingle. This is the one nice thing I have to say this entire book. So this is the part of the book that gets real emotional, guys. So Mr. Rochester, is, he comes to Jamaica. At this part of the book, he's discussing his new marriage to Antoinette and his concern is that she might not be how she appeared. Me, I mean, he got sick for the first three weeks after they got married and now he's really starting to pay attention to her. Praise be. They go to the other family estate, Grambois. The two start to explore each other. Anyway, yeah. Antoinette with love, Mr. Rochester with lust. Antoinette tries to explain to him what it's like to feel connect- disconnected on the island. He doesn't understand at first or really care. Yeah, he's, he, he's white. He doesn't have problems. He gets a letter from someone claiming to be Antoinette's half-brother. Her half-brother, Daniel Causeway, may or may not be her half-brother, mm-hmm. but most likely is, says the whole damn family is crazy and Mr. Rochester is screwed. Is that what, like, my future husband will get? Is just a letter in the mail saying the whole family's crazy? I don't think so. I kind of hope they do. Just don't go back up north. Oh, right. <laughs> I'm not triangulating your family's position. I don't care. So Mr. Rochester starts to get really weird around Antoinette, and he starts to read about... Okay, I don't know how to pronounce this. The Obe? Obia? O-B-E-A-H... Obey. Obey. In a book called The Glittering Coronet of the Isles. And he starts to think everyone is out to get him. Antoinette goes to her former caretaker, Christophine, to try to get her to do something to make Mr. Rochester fall in love again, thinking that she's going to do some special spell or something. Christophine tells her she's an idiot for relying on a man and refuses to help her at first. After all, Christophine has three kids from three different guys, has never gotten married on purpose because she thinks men are scum. Antoinette... Uh, I'm going to read find my spot again. Um, Antoinette is still unnerved to find out that under English law, all the money that she had and herself are now property of Mr. Rochester. Almost like marriage sucks sometimes. Almost, almost like it does. Christophine tells her to either talk to her husband or say she needs to travel, get some money, run away, and never fucking come back. When Antoinette won't give in to the pleas, Christophine agrees to help her. Mr. Rochester goes and actually visits Daniel Causeway to find out more information on Antoinette's family. Mm -hmm. He returns and tries to lie to Antoinette that he's only worried about her and her well-being, but he realizes he doesn't love her. He keeps calling Antoinette Bertha. She absolutely hates it, but she keeps giving her husband some rum. He stays up, keeps drinking rum, and ends up drinking a potion that Christophine made, which is inside the rum itself. Woo! He later accuses Antoinette of trying to poison him because he gets super sick. Not false. One of the house servants, Amelie, tells Rochester that she feels sorry for him, and they end up getting groiny. Antoinette cannot get her husband to say why he hates her so much. She ends up getting wasted on rum and straight up losing her shit. Things are not great, Mr. Rochester, as always, bemoans his existence. Yes. Antoinette ends up sinking her arm, her teeth into Mr. Rochester's arm, yep. and he thinks she's just beca- um, just like her mother. Christophine tells Mr. Rochester this is all his fault. Because of course it is. Because of course it is. Part three. Now locked up in Thornfield Hall under the care of Grace Poole, Antoinette doesn't believe she's actually in England, gets out of the room, and decides to burn the motherfucker down. Yeah, I mean, hearing it back, it does feel remarkably like Django Unchained. I still need to watch this movie. Ma'am! We've talked about this so many times, and I still haven't watched it. And I think it's my favorite movie. I think it might be one of my favorite Tarantinos. You need to watch it. I'm going to give you just a list. Just Um, give me a list. I need it. It does feel a little bit remarkably like Django Unchained. So your your short plot is is that a a dubiously ethnic woman in Jamaica is doing pretty much okay, except for mental illness, which is a problem. A white guy comes in, thinks that she's feasibly attractive, uh... Does, and rich. And rich. Uh, does basic guy things. Immediately sleeps around with other people. And um, things all go downhill from here up into burning the house down. I mean, from this perspective, it kind of seems fair. 
I, yeah, that was one of the biggest things about um, Jane Eyre that bothered me was that it's like, oh, the crazy attic wife. Like, I'm sorry. If I was a wife trapped in the attic, I would also burn the house down and I would have done it sooner. It kind of reminds me of when you're dating somebody and they're like, oh my God, my ex-girlfriend is nuts. And then you date that person for more than six months and mm-hmm. you realize that that person is nuts and their ex-girlfriend probably had a point. Right. And, um, or boyfriend. Yeah. The person you're dating. I think the big thing with this book that hurts is um, that mental illness is just not. It's a thing to run from. Mm-hmm. This is definitely from a time period where you just locked people up. But even still, it's written from someone in the 60s. Mm-hmm. We still are at a phase. Like, oh, that, yeah. Oh, we that still are. That hasn't changed. Um, and as a person of color who had mentally ill matriarchs my mom was mentally ill um my grandmother was i am to this day um i immensely empathized with antoinette just sitting here like i hope i don't get the crazy oh wait i got it yeah and i mean there's so many parts of this book where you're like well that seems like pretty standard depression and anxiety yeah or honestly a lot of it sounds like bipolar Mm. Which is something that um, bipolar is always listed as like a, a white young man's disease. If you look at rates in the South, it's not. And that Southern heritage comes from one African descent and then two Creole, Jamaican, Caribbean, all of that. So, I, of course, no one does studies on these things. But if yeah. I ever, you know, had the disposable income in the time, I would love to trace the roots of bipolar disorder in African-American women. Uh, because really I, study. I don't think it's talked about enough. Um, and it gets misdiagnosed as many other things um, as just being the crazy black lady. But I think it really goes back very, very far. And it would explain so much about um, some of these tropes and things that we um, especially ascribe to African-American women. And it would change how we then treat the condition. Because, yeah, it's still treated as like a young white guy impulse illness. And it's not. It's not like schizophrenia in that way. Right. And you see a lot of this too. I mean, just in women's studies in general, mm. I mean, how much postpartum depression is people being told, oh, you're just being selfish. Right. How dare you not want to spend every waking minute with this parasite that you have just birthed? I don't like children. Sorry. <laughs> I, I like kids. No. Um, yeah, but yeah. 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 You probably you, you guys probably weren't expecting um a heavy podcast, were you? We'll try to lighten it up with some more light lighter dark rum. <laughs> if I could if I could make this drink disappear, I'd be the happiest man on earth. You can pour it in my cup. I'm not going we're not going to indirect kiss with rum. Fine. So uh. this book is literally just sprinkled with foreshadowing, like sprinkles on a cupcake. Like sprinkles on a cupcake that your small child took a handful of and put on their cupcake yes so i'm gonna go through a few symbols i'm gonna let amanda go through some themes so calibria state's decline is mm-hmm. a big symbol the downfall of colonial empire that expo that basically just exploded in the west indies yes what's interesting too is calibri means hummingbird which interestingly enough in latin culture is a messenger between the living and the dead thank you spark notes yeah thank you thank you internet <clears throat> Poisoning of Antoinette's mother's horse this removes any means they have of escape. Mm-hmm. The flies and Antoinette's obsession with the death show her obsession with decay and the loss of the only life she's known up until this point. Mr. Luttrell going into the sea. The apprehension of the white inhabitants of the island fearing retribution from former slaves on the island. Which, realistically, at this time, I believe we would have had the Haitian Revolution by now. Mm-hmm. Which was literally a bunch of slaves uh, taking up arms and killing a bunch of white plantation owners. So, uh, valid. I mean, can you blame them, though? No, um, <laughs> the, Haitian, the Haitian revolt is one of the big things that always gets lobbed at them, especially, like, a southern slavery. It's like, well, why didn't you just? It's like, please. That didn't work well for Haiti for very long. <laughs> Though, uh... God bless Louvatore for everything that he did. So there's also a part with pennies with her friend Tia. At one point, Christophine gives Antoinette some pennies. She ends up making a bet with her friend Tia about flipping underwater. Tia takes the pennies and her pretty dress for good measure. 
These are symbols of the corrupting influence of capitalism and the corruption of innocence. We're just children being dicks. Well, that too. Sorry. Also, this is the part where Antoinette realizes that her family is falling out of social rank and she's screwed. Yes. The flaming parrot. This is kind of my thing. I don't like animal cruelty, <laughs> but I'm sorry I laughed. But I do um, love a flaming parrot. Because all I can think of is that scene when they did the movie adaptation of Red Dragon with Edward Norton. Where the guy is in, <laughs> there's I, a guy in a wheelchair on fire being pushed down the hill. And it's not funny, but it's one of those things that's so horrifying that a group of seventh grade girls will probably laugh out loud. Sorry, Hillary. Um, so the flaming parrot, Antoinette's mother tries to rescue her parrot when the whole plantation is being burned down. Mr. Mason has clipped his wings, so unfortunately the parrot can only catch fire and plummet to its death as it tries to escape. This symbolizes the danger of men for the women in this book and the removal of their power. Almost like it's a symbol. Almost like it's a symbol. It's just such a blunt symbol. I just imagine Jean Reese like throwing a flaming parrot and it's a problem. <laughs> Antoinette's forest dream. She has this dream more than once. Of being go of going into the forest and being chased, which is interesting because later I believe Mr. Rochester has an experience where he gets lost in the forest. Yes. Um, the second time Antoinette has this dream, she's at Catholic school and she dreams she's being chased by a faceless man. Mm-hmm. When she awakes, she tells everybody that she dreamed of hell. This is really big foreshadowing to her eventual eventual mental destruction. The other estate, Grenbois, that she goes to also means big tree or big wood. So, again, like, danger, foreshadowing, danger. Um, it also doesn't help that Granbois is located near the city of Massacre, which is even more foreshadowing. And they point this out, like, three times in the book that they're next to Massacre, and that that's a really weird name, and, oh, it's because of this. You can't hear how tired I am. So, we read this actually short, in one of my classes shortly after we read The Scarlet Letter. Yes. And I just feel like my teacher was like, okay, so let's just get a bunch of books that have to do with foreshadowing and see how many we pull out, mm-hmm. like how many symbols. The moths and beetles burning to death in the candles while Antoinette and Mr. Rochester share a meal. Their dangerous passion for each other and also echoes of the flaming parrot death. Also rude. Why are you just letting these in? That's the least sexy thing I've ever heard of. Okay, yeah. I was sitting there reading them going, you guys are having this, like, sexy meal, and you're looking at each other like, yeah, I want to do you, and these bugs are going into the candles. I would, that would be a little off-putting for me. Yeah, I would immediately go flaccid. Like, there's nothing attractive about that. Like, there's just, that's two sociopaths feeding each other, like, fondue or something. Or two cannibals feeding each other a leg. But, like, in a Hannibal kind of way? You know, my brain was thinking Hannibal, but, like, the weird shippy version that Tumblr really liked? Yes. It's that. So, I feel like this is, like, is this the second or third Thomas Harris reference I've made? Second. Okay. It just gets worse from here, guys. It anyway, does. um, Antoinette also sees giant rats as a child. They're a symbol that trouble can still reach Grenbois. The best part is that nobody believed her because she didn't tell anyone, which is very similar to what's happening with Mr. Rochester initially. Yeah, they also sound like uh, cane rats, which mm-hmm. are uh, which will will attack people. And they're like the size of cats. Yeah. So there's also <clears throat> the book that Mr. Rochester reads, The Glittering Coronet of the Sea. Mr. Rochester reads passages from this book about zombies. We see later that by emotionally removing her spirit, Mr. Rochester has also created a type of zombie in Antoinette. Do we get to talk about voodoo now? Sure! So, my godmother is Cajun, so I grew up with a lot of, like, voodoo. Uh, In the voodoo religion, you get a zombie by having a portion of your spirit uh, stay on Earth while another portion goes to the afterlife. So it leaves your body in this weird limbo. You have a the little angel and the big angel and the little angel can be really really easily uh distracted so if the little angel doesn't go with the big angel to like the afterlife uh that's how you get a zombie is the little angel's just kicking around because you're dead and then someone usually a voodoo priest can then take possession of the little angel and then resurrect your body uh as like this um animated corpse so. Which is crazy because also Antoinette keeps talking about how there are two deaths. Yeah, there are two deaths. Um, 
and then actually death in voodoo culture is not instantaneous like your body might die but you have to wait for gentleman death to like come for you and um you get him to come faster by leaving him he really likes rum he likes peanuts he likes uh cigarettes so if you leave those things for him uh he's more likely to visit you a little bit faster otherwise he'll take a sweet ass time which then leaves you more uh, at risk of becoming a zombie all right, so I've got some extra rum. And... <laughs> yeah, you have to leave those out for Gentleman Death. Um, I don't think he's brand particular either, but he does like his peanuts grilled. No. Oh. Don't don't boil him like in Savannah. Don't, yeah, no, he'll, he'll walk right by you. So here's the thing. The first time my husband ever told me about boiled peanuts in Savannah, I thought he was a crazy person. Yeah. And then I found out it was a real thing. It is a real thing. I'm a horrible heathen. I apologize. No, that's not the reason. Well, that's not the reason. That's I'm a not the reason. Heathen, <laughs> I I can't say no to you being a horrible heathen because I am. But I love the fact that like I I am Lutheran by definition, but um, Facebook thinks I'm a witch, and likes to advertise all sorts of stuff. And there's nothing wrong with being a witch. I have a lot of friends, but uh, I I just think it's funny because I'm sitting there going, I mean, I guess I'll go with it. I mean, I was raised Roman Catholic, but I'm hella pagan in places. Hence my near encyclopedic knowledge of voodoo ritual. How is the hot honey? Okay, the hot honey is really good. <laughs> I'm adding it to my HEB list. Hot honey is delicious. Um, it's it's hot. It's seductive. Um, it burns a little, just like fire. Just like fire, and bad sex. Yeah, technically. I just wanted to see what your face would do. <laughs> <laughs> We need, like, a reaction cam. We do need a reaction cam. Shall we talk about the sea? <clears throat> Let's talk about the sea. So, there's one uh, literary trope that I hate more than anything else, and that is flowery language about the ocean. And, uh, this is chuck full of flowery language about the ocean. It's beautiful, it's magnificent, it is wide, and it is beautiful, it is compared to women. Stop. I don't like it. I just have this image of, like, yes, she's beautiful like the sea. Tempestuous. And also she's gonna break my ship in half later, you know what I mean. So she's essentially bottomless, will kill you, and contains creatures that also will kill you. That is the least attractive metaphor. You're throwing a hot dog into a cave and calling it hot. This is why we don't teach sex ed. Is that not how I'm supposed to do it? Have I been doing it wrong all these years? Um, we also have slavery. Which is not a song that it's, I want to sing. It's not. And Mr. Rochester complaining about it is just so... It's... Okay, so I have like a top five of things that bother me. Uh, I think number one is when um, Irish Americans say the Irish were slaves too. So part of what's going into this is Mr. Rochester has this whole passage where he's bemoaning the fact that he was sold for 30,000 pounds by his parents to the Masons, like Antoinette Mason, not like the Masons. Um, That'd be a much better story. That would be way more interesting. But um, just being about, oh, I am a tool of my father. Oh, I have been abandoned. Oh, everything is horrible. Woe is me. And then you have an island full of people who were actually slaves. Yeah. No, and I think that's one of the biggest reasons why I hate that line. Because you get that now with, like, again, a lot. It's almost always Irish Americans. Like, it's no one from actual Ireland who has anything that would ever say that to a person of color. But it's usually white people who have never struggled in their life will look at a room full of black people and will say, the Irish were once slaves as well. It's like, you know what? Indentured servitude was bad. But you know what? You were a legal person you know, for a very fun. long time. I used to do this when I was younger and stupider, and then I made more friends of color and went, whoa, okay, I'm an a-hole. I'm going to back up a little bit. I apologize. Yeah, it's um, it's always frustrating, and you'll get that a lot in um, literature where you have white characters who bemoan a certain kind of slavery. 
It's like, oh, I'm a slave to this marriage. I'm like, you know what? This situation isn't ideal for anyone, but um, you aren't property in this instance. Did anybody hamstring you, bring you back, and force you to breed? Anyone change your name against your will? Anyone decide that, you know, your kid really isn't your kid, so we're going to sell them to the plantation three states away? Or perhaps make a compromise that you are not a full person, you are three-fifths of a person, and that part still being a uh, legal binding document like the Constitution! We're just going to sit here and stare for a minute. I, I hate that their Constitution still has so much stuff about slavery. And I still want to throw in there... And then the Constitution passed the ERA. So, like, yeah. Whatever uh, vague attraction I had to Mr. Rochester from Jane Eyre is kind of lost in Wide Cigar Sissy just because the the cute uh, complaining, not so cute in this one. Did it kill your boner? It did. It did. Especially now, because I think when I read it in high school, I, I, was, I was still pretty hard for him. But I'm older now, and I have very little patience for especially white people barking their problems at brown people. (laughs) I do also like that in this book, there's a pretty big message of staying single, because otherwise a human being, another human being, will destroy your life. Yes. Which feels very Jean Reese. Like, it feels like her being like, just, just walk away. It ain't worth it. Yeah, it, it does feel like um, when you watch like romantic comedies that aren't really comedies or romantic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, Christophine goes into the whole thing with Antoinette, like, just just get out of here. Just go. It's not you know, worth it. Okay. And Daniel does the yeah. same thing to Mr. Rochester as, I'm single because yeah. I don't need to take care of anybody. Right. And I'm free. Have you seen Watchmen? Yes. Okay. Remember um, the first Silk Spectre? Yes. How she's always, like, talking to her daughter, like, just men, all men are pigs, like, just, like, scotch in hand, no figs left to give. It feels like that. It feels like that, like, one, like, drunk aunt. And it's, when, it, it's not valid, considering, it's, like, invalid, it's just. It's, a, yeah, it's one of those things where, if you are with the wrong person, it makes your life worse. It does. And that's something that my mom tried to explain to me over and over and over again in my 20s. And I kept going, but mom, no. Once I find the right man or woman, everything will be wonderful. And you know what? It took me a long time to find somebody. But I'm happy that I waited. I'm very big on there is no Mr. Right. There is just Mr. Right now. Because, like, I'm not the same person I was in high school. Oh, hell no. We change every five minutes. Like, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't imagine trying to go after any of the guys I went after when I was younger. Same here. Oh, God. Well, to be fair, also the first two guys I was desperately in love with were not playing for my team. Ah. Uh, yeah. I haven't had that problem. I had no gaydar at all because I just thought everybody liked everybody like I did. You, pan, you pansexual hussy. I know. <laughs> so... There's also the narrative of the island showing you your real self. I also hate that. I've been on cruises. The island tells you nothing. <laughs> the island tells you that sunburn is a thing. Mm-hmm. And that uh, fish are terrible. <laughs> and sand is miserable. The island tells you nothing. <coughs> and that if your husband plays Assassin's Creed, you're going to walk to the Queen steps and you're going to be tired and sweaty, Mm -hmm. and dirty, and then you're going to come back, and you're just going to drink another rum drink. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to come back to Texas and have to pay taxes on that rum, because they're in individual bottles, and Texas is the devil. But um, it's very Lord of the Flies. Also, I take that back, because Texas will burn me if I say Texas is the (coughs) devil. They will. But it's very Lord of the Flies that, like, the island will show you your your true intentions. I'm super excited for when we end up doing Lord of the Flies. Do we have to? We do, because I really want to say, and Jack wept for the loss of innocence. That's a shout out to my sister. Anyway. Okay, we'll read Lord of the Flies. (laughs) Okay, so this hot honey is really good, you guys. It is. You don't understand. Uh, Well, Nashville might understand. Nashville, call us. So this novel is, of course, a response to other novels. It is. Um, <laughs> I'm letting I'm letting you eat your <coughs> some cheese plate. 
So I'm going to throw some stuff in there. Um, like Jane Eyre, there's a lot of religious imagery. <coughs> you all right? I'm dying. Don't die, please. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> there's a whole passage where Godfrey, who is one of the servants with the uh, original Calibri, says that black and white is all the same in God's eyes. And everybody's like, wait, what? Um, Calibri's gardens are also called the Garden of Eden by Antoinette. There's a whole thing about the loss of human innocence. It's it's a little crazy. The whole book is crazy. Why is everything crazy? Let's see. Yeah. I mean, is it a Garden of Eden, though? No. No. I don't really feel like it is, because they feel like they're going to get killed every five minutes. And Somebody poisons their horse. It wasn't Eden bad. Eden wasn't bad until... They decided to go against God's word, at least in the Bible. Which, I think that happened pretty quickly. Yeah. So Eden was bad. It ended up that way. Yep. <clears throat> and as, as you had noted, this book is also hailed as a post-colonial telling, retelling of Jane Eyre. It is. So post-colonial in the sense that um, it gives a character who didn't really have a voice, but we knew was ethnically uh, ambiguous, and decided to spend some time on that. I don't think it's that post-colonial, though, because I feel like it lobs a ton of softballs at the actual issue. Um, the history of that area is very complicated. Mm-hmm. And we could honestly have several other podcasts about the history of the Caribbean, of Jamaica, of Haiti. Uh, we briefly mentioned the Haitian revolts. Um, shout out to Crash Course. Yay. Uh, Crash Course World History, if you want to learn about that. Um... It still feels like it's lobbing a softball at a lot of these things, and especially considering that you can't expect people to know this. Mm-hmm. Like, one thing that is always a surprise is that um, a lot of times, especially in the Caribbean, it was people of color that owned slaves, uh, which is not fun to explain to people. Um, there was an entire caste system based purely on race and um, how light-skinned did your which is a trope and a painful thing that exists to this day mm-hmm. in the African-American community of this light-skinned Illuminati versus if you're too dark. Um, it's it's frustrating because if you don't have that context, it makes it very, very hard to empathize with the position that Antoinette is put into. Mm-hmm. And that makes it hard to empathize with her because then she becomes like Mr. Rochester, where you just don't understand why she's complaining. And um, Jean Reese was actually from Dominica, so she grew up in the area, and yes. this was just second nature to her. It's kind of like if you grow up in California, or parts of Texas, or... Because, just so you guys know, Texas is one state, but it used to be a country, and it's yes. all different wherever you go. Yes. So. Houston is different from San Antonio, it which is. is different from Austin, which people don't believe, but it is. Oh, oh and yeah. And very different from Dallas. And, you know, just, there's also, I think it's Brady, Texas, which is the heart of Texas. Very different from any other place. Who gave Brady the heart of Texas? That's, it's like in the center. I thought that was Atasca. Is it? Because if you go to Brady, it's all painted on all the buildings. Okay, well, Brady's a liar. I don't know. <laughs> I'm never bad. Um, but yeah, I mean... That's that's one of the difficult things, even, too, about our elections and stuff in Texas is Austin will light up blue. San Antonio will light up blue. All the cities in between will light up red. It just, it it's a very complex state. But people from Iowa don't necessarily understand what it's like to grow up in California. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's like to grow up in Minnesota. Like, I don't know what it's like to grow up in Wisconsin. Everybody has different experiences. Well, and so some of the things that she brings in here are a little difficult to understand because she knows the cultural heritage. And she knows the historical heritage of it. Um, so we have that a little bit in uh, South Texas, especially we have the missions. Mm-hmm. And everyone thinks of the Alamo. No one thinks about the Catholic influence, the encomienda, the slavery, the racism, the massacres, the genocide, the forcing of religion onto people, the cultural genocide. We had that all over California, all uh, the way up and down the coast. No one teaches that here. We just teach the Alamo and everyone was so brave and look what they died for. They died so they could own slaves and they could keep enslaving Native Americans. They wanted African slaves and they wanted 
to keep hurting Native Americans. That is what the Alamo was fought over. Hot take. That isn't a hot take. <laughs> um, We're also about 20 minutes from the Alamo, which is really very small. I see the Alamo every day, almost, because I work very close to it. And there is nothing that brings me greater schadenfreude than tourists. It's tiny. What is always interesting to me, too, is it's, like, across the street from one of the entrances to Riverwalk. Yes. So, you basically go to the Alamo, look at stuff, walk across the street, and then go get as many beers as you can carry? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then I always tell tourists, go to literally any of the other missions. Please do. There's literally five. Go down the street. Just, a lot of them are much prettier. But we don't talk about any of the uncomfortable parts of it. Um, I mean, America is bad about talking about the uncomfortable parts, just to, to start with. Well, we've talked about it, too. Most countries are, and that's not a, like, me trying to defend the U.S. Think... That's, it's, we, as a human, as human beings, just go, ah, we're not going to talk about that thing. I think, so, I, th- I think there's a difference. I think there's willful ignorance, which is what America has. And then there. there's, like... I can't expect a modern person in England to understand the effects of colonialism. I just can't. That's just not fair. I can't be mad at someone right now in London for uh, what happened in India. That's just... That was a mess and that was terrible, but we are willfully quelling that conversation in the U.S. I think that's the difference. Is you have people who, like a German internment... Mm-hmm. We have people who survived German internment and are like raising their hands like this was a thing that I'm like, no, no, get back in the closet. Um, as opposed to just there is so much time uh, between those histories that, I mean, again, it doesn't make it okay, but I'm willing to throw a softer ball at the matter. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even know about Japanese internment in the U.S. <laughs> until I was an older teenager, and that's because we had a family friend who was interned as a kid. Right. And told us about it, and we went, that happened? Yeah, I mean, again, like, Japanese internments are a great example. We have George Takei, who was very vocal about it, and people are like, what do you mean that happened? It's like, it, it happened. But, uh, we tend to just sort of suppress that dialogue, and we tend to definitely suppress a lot of the stuff about the racism and the slavery, and I know in the Caribbean, they don't like talking about it either. No. It's all very uncomfortable. Continuing to drink the dark and stormy. Even though it hurts me. It does. I like it, though. I've, I've now gotten past that stage where the rum burns off your taste buds. I'm getting there. Looks looks longingly into glass. Is this one of those times where I'm going to need to order, like, nachos or something to be delivered to the house? I'll be fine. Are you sure? Positive. I'm great. I don't know what you're talking about. We're going to eat some cheese. <laughs> oh... Oh, this is hard now. So what's great about this book is that it's about one-eighth of the size of Jane Eyre. It is. And we've just gone even farther than we did with Jane Eyre. Yeah. I mean, there's so many symbols. There's so much back history. Yep. I will admit that we don't know as much about Jean Rhys as we do for Charlotte Bronte. Um, Yeah, I, I wonder why. Did she just, like, not want to be found? I think at some point in time she didn't. So she was born Ella Gwendolyn Reese Williams in the British West Indies in Dominica. Um, she was alive from 1890 to 1979. That seems really recent. It is. It does seem really recent. What's weird is it's like now we're in 2019 and it's like we're really far from the 70s now, but it still feels like, oh, well, I was born in the 80s. So, ah, wait, ha- what? Um, I was just at the... Institute of Text and Cultures with a friend who's also African-American, and we were talking about um, the Civil Rights Act. Mm-hmm. It's like, how long ago was that? It's like, 60s? That yeah. seems really far. Uh, spoiler, it's not. It's, yeah. It's not. Well, I mean, on a comparative timeline, it's definitely yeah. not. I mean, slavery on a comparative timeline just ended. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Legally so, a full person since 1865. I know you have a shirt. I do have a shirt. She made it. I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Wide Sargasso Sea is Jean Reese's most famous book. It was published in 1966, but she spent a long time perfecting it. Um, it's been said that she spent several years writing it, going back over it, editing, cutting, adding, 
And then finally she felt like it was okay to be published. Mm-hmm. She did win an order of the British Empire for her writing, which is weird because we just talked about colonialism. We did just talk about colonialism. I do have a question. Yes. I wonder what about this narrative did it for her. And I mean, if it's anything half of what I felt about it, then I can I can understand air quotes, but especially during her time period, I'd love to know. Like, I I'm pretty big on the author's dead camp, even in mm-hmm. this case, literally. Uh, she had she had a pretty rough life. Um, so something to bring up too at that that time, like uh, when the book is supposed to be set, Creole meant anyone born on an island, yes. uh, those islands, regardless of skin tone. Yes. Um, Reese did not have an easy life. Um, She grew up on the island, but a lot like the character of Antoinette, she was sent to England by her to live with her aunt when she was 16 Mm -hmm. because she and her mom did not see eye to eye on anything. She was made fun of for her accent. She had a teacher tell her that she wasn't good enough because of her accent. Um, She ended up living in London for a long time and Paris she worked as a chorus girl for a while. She was a mistress to a wealthy stockbroker who, even though he was single, was like, we're never getting married. Mm. She almost died from an abortion. Not from the stockbroker. I looked it up. Okay. Um, she acted as a nude model and also had the very boring job of working in a pension office at one point in time. It's like a Josephine Baker-esque character. Just very, did, yeah. Did, every, did, did everything. Did everything. Um, she moved back to the islands when she was a little bit older, thinking that it was going to fix everything and it didn't. When she got there, she ended up having to help out her brother Oscar and come up with a quote, financial solution after he fathered a child with a woman who was of mixed race. And then her brother abandoned the said woman. Oh, well then. So I feel like that's where Daniel Causeway comes in a lot. Probably yes. Yeah. Um, she was out of the public eye for a very long time before this book came out. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, almost all of her works had gone out of print at that point in time. Right. And after the publication of White Sargasso Sea, her friends came together and helped get her other books back in print. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Um, she had, she did not have an easy life by any stretch of the imagination. She was married multiple times. Mm-hmm. Every time it seemed to break up pretty dramatically. Yeah. Um, a lot of her books are about the underworld of the city that she lived in at the time, mm-hmm. whether fictional or not. Mm-hmm. Very, very fascinating to read, but but tough. It's definitely yeah. tough. Yeah. Um, again, I, I'm pretty... The author is dead, but you can't always ignore the author. Mm-hmm. So it does seem like this is very much rooted in real feelings that she had, and she just chose this lens to view it through. I mean, definitely the feeling of not belonging, mm. of leaving your parents and being taken to a school to <clears throat> try and learn how to be a proper lady, to having to take care of situations that your family members caused. Right. Well, and one thing that um I forgot to mention is this all reads all like dual consciousness, mm-hmm. which um is a term used um for African Americans of you have a consciousness that is of African descent and you have a consciousness that is to show that you exist and you can survive in white society. So your mannerisms change, how you hold yourself changes, your uh, speech patterns change, all of that changes because you have to blend in, in a sense, to white society. You can't talk the way you do around your black friends the way you do around your white friends. And you'd think that goes away. It doesn't. No. So the whole idea of Antoinette being renamed and renamed something horrible and um accents being used as weapons it all just screams dual consciousness it's a little triggering honestly i mean i remember being in college and being told you know don't ever let somebody get away with using axe instead of ask Mm -hmm. and me being like yeah and then getting older and being like no (laughs) oh my god walk away from it like right you do not need to be the verbal police, sweet Jesus. No. Like, people talk differently. Language is constantly evolving. I mean, for crying out loud, English is like a language that stacks three people on top of each other and beats up other languages for terms. <laughs> like, we're not sitting here trying to tell you how to talk. Oh, my God. Well, and especially the one with naming. Oh, God. Because I have a very uh, white-sounding name. There's a reason behind that. My family wanted me to be socially acceptable. I have to be white normative. That's why my hair is relaxed. 
It's why I have a white name. It's, those are all the reasons behind it. So there is no like, oh, what, what, what language did your name come from? There's no like secret tribe in Africa. <laughs> What's really interesting too is when somebody's like, oh, Laquisha and stuff like that. And then you actually look up the name and it happens to be a variation of your own name. And yeah. you sit there and go, I'm a racist piece of shit. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not our place to rename people. No, no. But that desire to be normative runs very deep. Oh, hell yes. Like, again, like, I just love getting my hair relaxed because I was told for many, many years that if my hair was natural, that was not socially acceptable. <coughs> sorry. I killed her. I'm sorry. <coughs> that rum. <coughs> that rum is strong. There is plague in this podcast. I apologize. I feel bad because, like, you're making a really solid, real point, and I, like, suddenly start dying because I inhaled rum in the wrong place. It's okay. I mean, valid. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, you, you think about all those things, and it's stuff that people don't want to talk about or don't like talking about, but I'm willing to talk about it. Like, nowadays, when, I, when people ask me, oh, why is your hair relaxed? Like, because of white hegemony. I've heard that, too, <laughs> from you. And it really disarms people, but... It's like, wait, what? It's like, what? It's like, but that's true. It's like, did you choose to get your hair relaxed? No, white beauty standards told me to get my hair relaxed. Do you think I enjoy paying $100 every two months to have essentially what is paint thinner lobbed onto my scalp? And see, I just avoid going to the hairstylist because I keep um, ending up as somebody's therapist every time. I have to get this done... Once every six to eight weeks. I just need to go with you when you go. And it's like a like, two hour appointment. No more paint thinner. I mean, I don't have a cho- I don't, I don't see myself as pretty with natural hair. I want to know what you look like with natural hair. I, I look like Foxy Cleopatra. I promise not to try to touch it. Oh my God, please. Thank this, you. This is going to be another like three hour podcast right there. Uh, yeah. That's another, that's another like five hour podcast. Uh, please don't touch people with colors. Just don't touch, don't, don't touch people's hair. As a white person, I beg you, you can tell your friends of color how beautiful their hair is. That is fine. Don't try to touch their hair. Don't touch pregnant women's bellies. Don't touch tattoos. It is none of your freaking business. You can tell people they look great. You can tell them they like you like their outfit. Please don't touch people without their permission. Yeah, and I will say, I think White Cigars with C brings up the uncomfortable feeling of, like again, like exoticism and everything. Oh, yeah. Because, again, I love when people are like, what part of Africa are you from? I don't know. There are no records because I wasn't a person until 1865. Amen. Like, I love this, like, neoliberal fascination with black bodies now of, like, oh, did you choose to get your hair relaxed? Choice as in society told me? No. Choose as in I made the appointment last week? Yes. <laughs> Society told me, society and the patriarchy told me to, but I did call the JC Pennies. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just having this image of you being like, hi, I'd like to schedule my white hegemony appointment, please. That's literally what it is. It's every six to eight weeks. Hello, I would like my white, hege- my white hegemony appointment. Yeah, you might need to cut some off. It's- <laughs> I just imagine like, I really want all of my hairstylists now to have shirts that are like, and white hegemony, and the patriarchy. Okay, so were you going with a bob this time, or are are you just cutting the ends off? Are you going through your quarter life, I need to cut my hair short and or get bangs? Oh my god, don't ever get drunk and cut your bangs, guys. No, don't do that. Just just don't do it. But um, that's always something that, and again, it's something that I've had all my life, but I'm old now and I'm tired. And I hate that question so much. Do you know where in Africa you came from? I do not. You're like, I have no idea. I have no idea. And I truthfully have no desire to find out. I'm one of those people who's always like, I want to do one of those cheek swab tests. And then I'm like, I ain't no snitch. Yeah. But it also must be nice to have records of your people that go back hundreds of years. Right. (laughs) I think (laughs) we tried to do an Ancestry.com thing and it only went back, I think, like to the, like, I think. Like, 1900s? It's like, what happened? Like, 
Oh, right. We weren't people. <laughs> there's nothing like that. There, There's no way to describe that feeling. It really sours the whole... There's nothing more to learn. And then more importantly, what am I going to do? Let's say I do the cheek swab thing and they bank my DNA because it does. Mm-hmm. It does. Oh, and it's great, too, because yeah. you there are people who can upload your results to this one uh, site that's for genealogists. We're never getting sponsored, are we? No, we're not. Dang it. Guess how they found the Golden State Killer. Yeah, it was through one of those dumb DNA Familial things. DNA. Did we talk about this last time, too? Uh, I feel like we talked about it before. Okay, I feel like we've had this rent. We have. <laughs> but uh, let's say I do it, and it's like, oh, you're from the kingdom of Mali. Excellent. I would go over great there. Excellent. I'm queer, light-skinned, and an American. I'll be a god. <laughs> there's just... There's nothing for me in the motherland anymore. And that's sad. And I hope... And I wish that... I wish that people looked at this book through that lens. I mean, even Alice Walker was talking about how she went back and was studying out in Africa for a while. And yeah. she's like... It is not the paradise that you think it is. Please stop. Yeah. And I, especially the, the exoticism of islands bothers me. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, Jamaica has some poverty issues. Haiti has some poverty issues. It's severe. Uh, pretty much every island in the Caribbean that isn't a resort mm-hmm. has some poverty issues. And the resort ones have their own weird version of modern slavery. Oh, it is the weirdest thing. You get off a cruise ship. You're like, oh! cute we're just gonna go get a drink it's fine it's Mm -hmm. fine and you walk in and it's like this plaza yeah and the plaza is filled with people braiding hair Mm -hmm. providing snacks Mm -hmm. and drinks Mm -hmm. and people desperately standing on the side of the road trying to get you to go with them because you are their economy you are their entire economy and it's annoying and also i'm sorry i'm gonna go ahead and say it if you are white and you go to jamaica and you get your hair braided please know that i'm personally disappointed in you I intentionally went and did not get my hair done very pr- like that because I was going, no, <laughs> to quote, no, no. To quote my last article, I'm very proud of you for doing the bare minimum. <laughs> oh, I did the bare minimum, friend. I'm, I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm very proud of you for... Also, if you do go on like a Caribbean vacation and you are not, uh, or even me, like I'm African American, don't take pictures with native people. Oh, God. That, okay, so that's the thing that kills me is when you see all of these trips and stuff when they're like, we've gone to Africa to help build this shelter. And it's like pictures with a small child mm-hmm. with a distended belly. And I'm like, no, put your iPhone away. Yeah. What? No, 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 no. If you're going to do good, do good. You don't need and, to photograph it for proof. And now that you can't take photos, because I've been to the Bahamas, it's beautiful. Um, One, ask people. They are people. Mm-hmm. Ask if it's okay to record or take photos. And then take pictures of things don't glorify the people who are trying to survive because carnival cruise says this is their economy now see i'm just like picturing can you imagine if somebody came and was taking pictures of us just like walking down the street and they're like oh the culture here is so strong you know what i work downtown so i see that a lot with people like from china and japan oh like the way like it's like oh america is so busy like this is nothing dude this is there is there is nothing going on today (laughs) You guys aren't here for the Battle of Flowers, are you? That's a you should wait till Fiesta. So, something for all of you who don't live in San Antonio. Right. In April, pretty much the entire city gets drunk. Yes. Woo! There and, are cultural reasons behind it. Yeah, it actually used to be very Catholic. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not anymore. It's not anymore. Now it's really just a way to market to people in San Antonio and get them to actually hang out downtown. And to buy medals. Mm-hmm. Which we do. I do, yes. We do wish we could afford them anyway <laughs> i think we've solved colonialism did we yeah just acknowledge it and admit that it sucked okay um, we're not going back there are we so we did not get our 50 people so i'm not reading 50 shades of oh i said i gave myself four weeks oh it's four weeks i gave myself four weeks shit okay <laughs> so you still have several weeks before we figure out shit okay <laughs> Oh no, I built myself a nest, darling. To my five friends who actually listen to this podcast, I expect you to turn this against me. Yes. Please, gather the troops. Oh yeah. Rate, 
write, subscribe, yep, do whatever you want. Well, maybe not at whatever you want. Yeah, we're well. I mean, that's a pretty low bar for us. Yeah. Yeah, I don't tell people don't things don't do things that I wouldn't do because yeah. the list is a lot shorter than it used to be. I apologize for coughing. I am recovering from a chest cold. I apologize for coughing because I drank rum down the wrong hole. Also, in that Saturday night. Woo! So the next episode, we are going to discuss Beowulf. Beowulf. Um, I will be reading from the Seamus Haney translation because it's my favorite. And I will be uh, casting runes uh, using a cow's stomach as a veil. I don't know. I don't want to read this book. <laughs> I don't See, wanna... I'm all excited. I got the one with like the old English. I've seen one of the translations of it at the British Library. I'm like, yes, I read this in college. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I mean, it wasn't bad. It just didn't do anything for me. Understood. I would much rather read Thor. Thor? Yeah, like, a lot of the Thor comic books are really, like, uh, very Beowulf-esque. I mean, we can read it as supplemental reading. Cool. This is what I do for fun, man. This is why there's, like, ten books in research. I know. Um, I will begrudgingly read Beowulf because it means we get to get to uh, my true love the week after that. Mm -hmm. So, we... Are all over social media. Yep. I'm going to be putting up the books and stuff that we referenced on our website, unfortunatelyrequiredreading.com. Yes. Um, we're also on Facebook at Unfortunately Required Reading. Twitter on Unfortunately RR, because Twitter is weird. It does its best. It does do its best. Unfortunately Required on Instagram, if you want to see pictures of our drinks. Our drink yes. drinks. Or if you have a book you want to suggest, or a funny story about your English class, or your fan fiction. Yes. Please send that to unfortunatelyrequiredreading at gmail.com. Now, please go read a book. Please. Longest podcast? Oh my god, longest podcast. <laughs>